Hello, good afternoon. We're in John chapter 3 and we'll read verse 31 to 36. John 3, 31 to 36. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the word of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy and inerrant word. Amen. Last week in John, we left off at verse 30 with that very famous verse of John the Baptist speaking about the Lord Jesus. He must increase, but I must decrease. It is a great verse. It's one of my favourite verses, and I hope it is one of your favourite verses. Many of you have it memorised. It is so short. It is so sweet. It is so necessary. It's one of those great verses on humility. And who does not love a great verse on humility? Well, for other people. It is a wonderful verse that you want your children or your spouse to memorise. But it is more than a sentiment in general about humility. It's not just a statement that you should not be proud or that you should be humble. It is a statement about inverse exaltation. We go down, Christ goes up. Christ goes up, we go down. And that is the way... It is supposed to work. There is a famous saying about the task of the preacher that no man preaching can both make himself look clever and Christ look mighty to save. No, I must decrease, Christ must increase. It is the rule of inverse exaltation. Maybe you remember what it's like. I remember in city parks to, to play on the seesaw. Do you remember the the seesaw and many tailbones have been severely bruised by using a seesaw because if you've got a bigger than you friend sitting opposite loading down their ends and then in a moment moment of spontaneous standing they jump up and run away you go slamming down and sooner or later someone's going up and someone's going down. You have to be in one place or the other. And John the Baptist gives us the prayer that we all ought to pray, that he must increase, but I must decrease. It is a great verse. It is a great thought. But have you ever stopped to think why? Why should we decrease than Christ increase? An older sister might want to say it to her younger sister, you must decrease, I must increase. An out-of-order husband might want to say it to his wife. A boss might think about it relative to his subordinates. Someone might even think it to themselves about someone else from another class or race. You know, you exist that I may be lifted up, that you may be lowered. It is amazing how easy it is for all of us to live life as if we were the centre 
of the story. And everyone exists for you to get where you need to go in the timely fashion according to you. We live our lives thinking like that. Have you ever thought, why does John say that Christ must increase? Verse 31 to 36, which we have just read, give the answer. They provide the theological summary and the justification for John's statement in verses 27 through 30. What we see here, as one commentator put it, is the surpassing significance of Jesus Christ as the one who is sent from God. John just doesn't leave us with the principle, Jesus up, you down. He gives us reasons that why we must be at the bottom, Christ must be at the top. The first is where he comes from. Look at verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. And the parallel statement at the end of the verse, he who comes from heaven. You contrast that with what is in the middle. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. John the Baptist was from the earth. John is representative of humanity. He's speaking for us all. We are of the earth. Jesus, the son of God, is from heaven. There are only two places you can come from. You can be from heaven or you can be from earth. Most of us are proud of where we are from. You may think that where you are from is pretty impressive. It is great to have some sense of where you are from and your heritage and your history. Just so long as we keep this in mind, we are all from earth, not heaven. We love to celebrate diversity and done the right, right way. It's a good thing to celebrate diversity. But there's a diversity we do not have. None of us come from heaven. Jesus came from heaven. Where you are shapes how you think, how you talk, how you dress. It shapes how you speak, an accent, a dress, a tie. Do not forget that you, are, I, you and I are still shaped by our first ancestor, Adam. His sin, his guilt, his corruption. You can't escape it. Which is why Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. That's why Jesus would say to all of us, you must be born again. You cannot escape your family ties. Some of you would love for everyone to know the family that you are a part of, all the heroes. Some of you would rather bury it. But we all actually come from the same family. We all have the same ancestor. We all come from Adam and Eve, which we means we are from the earth, inheriting guilt and corruption and sin. But Christ came from above. He did not need to be born from above because that was his natural habitat, his authority, his magnificence, his power. He who comes from heaven is above all. Do you believe that? Really believe that? Truth be told, many of us believe that Jesus is above most. Now we say all, but we mean most. Is he above your children? Many say Jesus above all, as long as it does not mean that I do not get what I want. Is Jesus above your desires? Above your sense of right and wrong. 
He who is from above is above all. If he is above all, of course he must increase and we must decrease. He is from heaven, we are from earth, where he comes from. Secondly, because of what he speaks, you see verse 32, 33 and end of verse 34, we see that Jesus bears witness, verse 32, bears witness to what he has seen and heard. Remember, he comes from heaven. He can speak with supreme authority on heavenly matters. He has been there. He has lived there. He created whatever there, you know, he, he created whatever was there. You read later that he utters words of God. Verse 34, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God. His natural habitat is heaven. He speaks, he utters words of God. Of course he can speak of heavenly things because that is where he is from. In the last 20 years or so, we've seen a number of bestsellers about people who supposedly have died and gone to heaven and come back. Let me be so bold as to say you probably should not love those books. You probably shouldn't even read those books. People give so much credence to stories of people dying and going to heaven. You remember there is one place in the Gospels. It was not a death into heaven and come back to tell about it. But Paul said, I knew a man once who was caught up into the heavens. And he was so overawed about it, he did not even want to speak about it. He did not even mention his name. He was caught up in some kind of vision of the heavenly places. He didn't come down to write a book about it. And many of them, these so-called stories are just outright fabrications to draw attention to the writer. And people will say, and perhaps with good intentions, we need to listen to this six-year-old boy. He went to heaven. How can we not listen to him? Christians will devour the book and devour the film and buy the journals and get the matching his and her heavenly towels and all the paraphernalia. But he went to heaven. And all of the while, while they're engaged in such stupidity and hysteria, a book sits on their shelves collecting dust with a voice from heaven about a man who came from heaven. Christ comes from heaven and he alone can bear witness to what he has seen and heard. We don't need these stories fabricated or otherwise of little boys and girls who've gone to heaven and come back to tell us what it is like. We have no greater authority than this. And if we can't believe and trust this authority, why would we trust another? He speaks what he sees, what he knows, what he has heard, and yet no one receives his testimony. Verse 32. Many people are so in step with the thinking and the assumptions of the earth that they can't accept this message. Okay, they will accept other messages. They will accept whatever is trending on Twitter. They will accept whatever they see on the TV. But they will not accept this message because as a whole, the world is not interested in the truth that Jesus Christ came to bring. Are you interested in the truth that Jesus Christ came to bring? I did not just say, are you interested in Jesus? Because people have a lot of interest in Jesus. You may be very interested in Jesus. 
You may be very curious about Jesus, but are you interested to accept what Jesus said and did and taught? We're only in chapter three in our study of John and already the Lord Jesus had has had some very hard things to say. John three, verse three. Jesus answered Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And verse five, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And verse 19, and this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Jesus had said, has said some very hard things. We like to think, I, I know I love the kingdom, we're all going to be in the kingdom and the kingdom is growing and we love and we serve and we do social justice and we do our part and we're all in the kingdom. It is great. And any time a beloved one dies, we talk about that they're in a better place. They are looking down upon us. They're still cheering our favourite sports teams and they're doing all these kind of sentimental things. Jesus says, unless you're born again, Unless you're born of water and spirit, you will not enter the kingdom. Now, that is not the Jesus that people like. We do not want anyone getting in our business. We love the sentimental, sentimentality of Christmas. We actually quite like the pageantry of Easter, but we don't want Jesus telling us what to do. And we don't like the idea that we need a saviour because that by definition means that we are sinners. We, we like to think that we need a helper or we need a friend, or we need a comforter when we're down. We need someone to come alongside us and help us when we're having a bad time, but not a saviour because we are sinners and we can't save ourselves. In verse 33, it goes on to say, whoever receives his testimony. So clearly the no one in verse 32 is not to be taken absolutely. It is a comparative or a relative statement as a whole, the world does not receive Jesus Christ. But verse 33 tells us, whoever receives his testimony sets his seal. And you know what a seal was in the ancient world? It was a hot piece of wax that you affixed to an official document. And a king or the magistrate would then put his signet ring in there and seal it to mark it as having been in his possession, having his authority. A seal was to confirm, to validate. When you receive what Jesus says, you validate this, that God is true. You declare God to be true. So you're affirming that Jesus is from above and the truth of God's revelation in Christ. One commentator says it this way. Jesus so completely says and does all that God says and does and only what God says and does, that to believe Jesus is to believe God. In other words, the truthfulness of God is bound up in the truthfulness of the Son that he has sent. That is how closely, how intimately the two are one. John can say, if you want to hear from God, pay attention to Jesus. Who does not want to hear from God? You want to know what God wants you to do in your life? You want to hear something? You want to be given a word of encouragement? You want to hear from God? If God would just say something to me? This is how you hear from God. You pay attention to his son. 
when you hear what he has said and you receive what he has said and you say, Jesus, I believe you, you're testifying that God himself is true. So Jesus must increase because of where he comes from, because of what he speaks. And then verse 35, because of what he has been given. Verse 35 begins with the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. God sent the son that he loved and he loves the son that he sent. There will be much more in John about the inner workings of the Trinity. But let this just let this sink in, this simple statement that the Father loves the Son. This is a unique Trinitarian, intra-Trinitarian love. This is his only begotten Son, his Son from all eternity, his beloved Son, the one who bears an exact imprint of, in, of his nature, the one by whom the entire universe is upheld and sustained. This Son, Friends, would you ignore the son that the father loves? How will you stand before God on that day and explain to him why you thought so little of his son? This is the perfect father. His son did nothing wrong. His son is the perfect son. You do not have any perfect sons. I do not have any perfect sons. The father has a perfect son, his beloved son, his only begotten son. He sent him into the world and they treated the son like they treated the hired hands, just like they treated the prophets before him. They persecuted him. They put him to death. What will you say when you stand before the father and have to give an account for how you treated his son? Or you say, um, I did not have anything against your son. I liked your son. I went to church and I sang songs about your son. The father will say, did you follow my beloved son? God is not looking for fans. He's looking for disciples. It is easy to be a fan. Jesus is not looking for fans. He wants disciples. The father loves the son. And when you love, you give. Christmas, you give. Anniversaries, you give. Birthdays, you give. If you love missions, you give the missions. If you love the church, you give to the church. If you love God, you give back to God. You give your time, you give of your children, you give. And if you love, you give. The father loves the son. And look at what he has given to the son. Verse 35, he has given all things into his hands. And more exacting in verse 34, he gives the spirit without measure. The father gives to the son the spirit without measure, meaning there is no limit to the gift of the spirit that he endowed the son with in his earthly ministry perfect endowment of the Holy Spirit. So you get a picture of this Christ, the heavenly one, the beloved son who speaks the words of God, who has the fullness of the Spirit's endowment. And you add to that everything that we've already seen in this chapter. He is a teacher, a rabbi, a miracle worker, the one lifted high in the wilderness that all might look up on him and be saved. And when you understand where he is from and what he speaks and what he has been given, of course, he must increase and we must decrease. And there's one more point. We must consider what is at stake. Look at verse 36. You may not like verse 36. You may have family members who do not like verse 36. Some of us can go our whole life even trying to be good Christians and act as if verse 
36 and others like it do not exist. Sometimes you hear Christians talk and they say, well, the God that I worship. And then they go on to talk as if John 3, 36 is not in the Bible, that they have made up a God that they worship. They think that the God I worship would not be angry with sin. The God I worship would not punish people for sin. The God that I worship just gives everyone a great big hug. Well, look at verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This is a fitting climax of the entire chapter. Chapter 3 comes after chapter 2. The whole business with Nicodemus comes on the heels of the end of chapter 2, where Jesus knows what is in man. And the verse we saw it, the word in verse 23, believed, is the same Greek word translated in verse 24 of chapter 2 in trust. And they believed in Jesus, but Jesus did not yet believe in them. Why? Because he knew them. He could see this was not lasting faith. This was not saving faith. This was, I want to be a part of the show. This was their so-called faith. They believed Jesus and Jesus said, I do not believe in you. And it was on the heels of that experience we went into chapter 3. Because Nicodemus was that man who said, I like Jesus. I have a lot of true things that I can see about Jesus. But he wasn't yet born again. So we see this line and the whole the point of the whole book brought back to us time and time again. Do you believe? Do you really believe? The reformers often talked about saving faith having three parts, knowledge, assent and trust. There are Latin words because Latin words are always cool. Notitia, assensus and fiducia. Notitia. Notitia is the content of faith, the things we believe. We place our faith in something, or more appropriately, someone. In order to believe, we must know something about the someone who is Jesus, the Lord. A census. A census is our conviction that the content of our faith is true. You can know about the Christian faith and yet believe it is not true. Genuine faith says that the content is true. Fiducia is personal trust and reliance. Knowing and believing the content of the Christian faith is not enough, for even demons can do that, James 2. Faith is only effectual if knowing about and assenting to the claims of Jesus, one trusts in him personally alone for salvation. Do you trust in Jesus? Have you received this Christ? Not just as a point in a mental checklist of doctrines, but as your saviour, Lord, your trust, your treasure. Many of us are so familiar with believing in Jesus, we scarcely think about what it means if we do or if we do not. In verse 36 of chapter 3, Christ Jesus is the fork in the road for everyone in history. That is what the Bible teaches. And this is the audacious, audacious claim that Jesus Christ makes for himself it is audacious you cannot say this about anyone else you would not say this about your grandmother about your mother about your pastor you would not say it about anybody else it is absolutely audacious unless you are god unless you are the son of god christ is the fork in the road which way are you going this way leads to life eternal life 
And you notice it says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Present possession. <coughs> has eternal life. Yes, it is something you will enjoy later. <coughs> when you believe in Christ, truly believe in him, you have it now. You are immortal. That is why you cannot be unjustified. You cannot be unregenerated. When you're truly saved, you're always saved. Now that is different than somebody raising their hand or signing a card or joining a church. Which, when you may not have genuine faith, but if, if it is genuine, you will live forever. But there is another fork. And this way does not lead to life. Now do, do not get thrown off because it says obey the Son. It is using obey and belief in parallel. Because when you believe the Son... You obey him, and if you do not obey him, you do not believe in him. So if you do not obey the Son, you do not believe in the Son, and if you do not believe in the Son, it will result in wrath. And notice the language remains on him, because remains, because that is a default position. You do not want to say, God, give me what I deserve. No, that is what you deserve. That is where you are. That is where we all are apart from Christ. Wrath remains. We're born into the world, sinners, corrupt and guilty. Wrath is our deserved state. It is only by grace that we can have life. So you need to hear. Every man, woman, boy and girl needs to hear with crystal clarity that if you come to Christ, follow Christ, receive Christ, you will live forever. If you reject Christ and you have heard of him this afternoon, and you reject him, and you do not follow him, you do not obey him, you do not believe in him, you do not take him as your own, it will lead to death. And sometimes we say, well, hell is just the absence of God. No, 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 no. God is very much present in his right, just anger and fury. Yes, away from his smiling presence, but God is meeting out his just judgment on sinners. There's a famous passage in Ezekiel 33, which speaks of the watchman on the walls. And it is talking about the man who would have the duty to look out for the approaching enemy. And it said that if he saw the enemy coming to God's people, coming to Israel, and he said nothing, he did not blow the trumpet. And then the enemy came and the people were slaughtered. He would have blood on his hands. He would be guilty because he saw the danger and said nothing. But if he saw the enemy approaching and he blew the trumpet and he sounded the alarm and the people went about their business and said, we do not believe it, we do not trust it, and they died, then the blood is on their hands. I think about that often as I preach, that the pastor must be the watchman on the walls. So you must hear with crystal clarity from this pulpit, warning you upon the authority of the word of God that there is a judgment coming. And you say, well, that's just an open air preacher with his sandwich board. Repent or else. Well, it's the Bible. It is John 3.36. You can say, I do not like it, Pastor. Well, take it up with God and his word. Don't blame the watchman on the walls. You have been warned. May it never be said that anyone in our churches could get to heaven and say, my pastor never told me I needed a saviour. You need a saviour. A saviour for your sins, your inherited sins, your real sins. And you do not make it in because your parents took you to church. 
You do not make it in because you stayed away from big sin. You must be born again. Run from sin. Flee from sin. Turn to Christ. Run to Christ. Believe. Live. Now and forever. Christ must increase. And it's the heartbeat of everyone who truly knows him to say yes. Do we all have moments and days when we want to be on the top of the seesaw? Absolutely. But it is the heart of those who love him to say in a moment of clarity, Jesus Christ, forgive me. I must increase. Sorry, he must increase. I must decrease. I want to go down. I want to go down. And when I'm down, I'll be happy that Jesus Christ might be lifted up. May God bless the word. Amen.